Hello to all of you. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, and welcome to my podcast, which I'm calling TMI, The Motivation Inside. I hope this will be one fun and productive listening ride for all of you. For those of you who don't know me, I am the founder of Skybridge Capital, a global investment firm. But the reason that we're doing TMI is not to tell you how successful we are, but to share with you the many faces of success and wealth. And because we all know when you strip everything off, it ain't that pretty. I also want to let you in on how we got to where we are, but also to explain to you what we think are some of the most important elements of creating greatness inside and how all of you can achieve your own personal definition of success. I want all of you to tap into that greatness that you have. It's a super, super important thing. You have to find your true and authentic self. And I tell you this every week. You're probably getting tired of the intros uh, to my podcast. But again, not the typical guy, not the typical Wall Street guy. Uh, I still like living two miles from my mom and dad. Uh, My brother David lives four miles. My mother would say something to him like, you think you could move a little closer, like your brother Anthony? I have to tell you this sort of stuff so that you can relate to me and you can understand the strategies on this road to success are not sometimes simple and they don't necessarily come out of a book, but they may come out of your character. They may come out of your values. They may be part of your journey uh, at your origin when you're learning about things about your life. Uh, We're going to talk about ambition on TMI. Uh, We're also going to talk, as I always do, about success and failure. And I want to continue with the topic of what makes some people successful and why others are not successful. But more importantly, I want to figure out with you how we can help you and people just like you around the world achieve success. Uh, And I do think it starts with lifting each other up. I'm also very mindful of one of the things that my football coach, my high school football coach, once said to all of us, and then I saw it at the uh, Cardigan Mountain Boarding School, Uh, so I'm sure this is a great football aphorism, but he often said to us, help the other guy. Uh, Isn't that the key in so many ways to being a very big success? Pick people up, pick yourself up, especially after failure. So this all brings me to my next guest, And I will admit this in front of her, and since this is going on tape, she can play it over and over for herself. I could never really be a success without my next guest. This person has more or less helped me to become the person I am today. Yup, that includes the strengths and the weaknesses. This guest could be one pain in the you-know-what. And right now, if you're Italian out there, I want you to imagine your grandmother or your mother taking her index finger and biting very down hard on it with the front teeth. And you know what I'm talking about. Yes, the guest could only be the one and only, to all my TMI listeners, my mom, Marie Scaramucci. Okay. Ma, welcome to the podcast. And let's talk right away. Why don't you give these guys a sense for what I was like as a kid? It's okay. You can tell them the truth. You don't have to sanitize it. Anthony took the bottle until he was four and a half years old. That's the story you're starting with, the four and, and a half year old bottle. Oh and my he God. and he would not give it up, no matter how I would try to take it away. So one day, 
everybody was yelling at me saying, he's got to give up the bottle. He's going to take it to school. And I said, oh, don't worry about it. I'm not worried about it. So we took the bottle just before he was going to go to school, and we threw it outside, and it cracked. And then I took him outside, and I says, oh, someone took your bottle, and it's cracked. And he never took the bottle again. So everyone that was worried weren't worried anymore. How do you, how do you know I'm not still taking the bottle, Mom? <laughs> you have no idea, right? All right. All right. All right. That's an interesting story to start with. Uh, and so, Ma, let me ask you this. Did you have any sense early on that I was going to be halfway successful? Yes. I always tell you that you had an aura and that if you looked in the mirror and told yourself that you were handsome, that you would believe it and you would have an inner strength knowing this. And that's the truth because you used to look in the mirror with me and say, hmm, you, you, Ma, you do I look told, You also told me I was tall, though, Ma, and I did believe that for a period of time until I got into the middle school and I realized, my God, I'm really not as tall as my mother said that I was. Okay, keep going, Ma. Then uh, I'm going to jump a little bit. You started having a, uh, no, at eight years old, you went with my mother. You used to love to shop with her. You always loved to shop. And she was an immigrant, and she could not uh, read uh, English very well. And you and her got lost at a pancake house in Mineola. And... Oh, I uh, remember that. Okay, so that was at the International House of Pancakes. Pancakes. It's still there. It's right. on the intersection of Willis Avenue and Hillside. Right. And there used to be a bow hack across the street right. from that. It's now a bank. Right. And my father was uh, owner of that place at one point in his life. And But you said to Nana, don't worry, we'll find our way. And Nana says, oh, for sure, because she was kind of on the tough side. And you and her found your way home. Yeah, and no, that I, went was part the, of, I went to the Yellow Pages, right. and we flipped through the Yellow Pages. You were only years eight old. years old. I was eight years old. She got a dime. I found the, the word taxi in the Yellow Pages for her, and she called the taxi because we had missed the bus. So we were taking the bus to Hempstead from Port Washington. <laughs> you had a transfer uh, over by, uh, used to be the Bagel Nosh over there. It's now the T-Mobile. It was over by the, uh, that, was a, that was a transfer point. Uh, on the way to Hempstead. And so uh, we missed our stop, got jammed up in the International House of Pancakes. But what, what what's the point of the story, Ma? Why are you bringing that up? Because you you had chutzpah at eight years old. You always had like a, um, you had something in you that a lot of children didn't have. And you always had that go-getter, even at that point. Then you had a paper route. And you saved $13 on your paper route, and your grandfather took you to the, uh, I forgot the name of First the Federal Savings. First Federal Savings Bank, and said if you p opened up an account with $13, he had this fetish on $13. Yeah, his lucky number was, was almost 13. like Alex Rodriguez. He thought 13, that the superstition around it was BS, and he thought that 13 was the greatest number. And a lot of great things had happened to his life on a 13th of a month. Right. And so, so he went out and basically said, listen to me, son, I'm going to open up a passbook savings account. And I'm talking not to millennials now that have never seen a passbook, but it was a, it was a banking. Uh, it looked literally like your passport that you would take to a, uh, on a trip to Europe or something like that. And it, was a, it said first federal savings on it. And he insisted that we walk up there. He told me you're going to put exactly $13 in, and when you do this, 
I'm promising you someday in your life you're going to be a millionaire. And so we walked up there together. And, and here it is. And that paper route, we had change, uh, not a lot of dollars, mostly coins. And we sat there and counted them with the bank teller. And then she printed the amount of money in the book. And that was a day back in the 70s where you actually earned interest on your savings account. So uh, I used to remember getting really excited to make another deposit because the bank would add some money to your account. It was sort of a really cool thing. It was the original idea for me of learning about compound interest. Uh, uh, one thing I remember, Ma, do you remember the Christmas Club? I used to remember you used yes. to go up to the, uh, the North Hempstead Bank. You'd go to the auto teller mm-hmm. there, and you'd drop off $20 a week. Uh, you'd, you'd rip out a coupon from the uh, Christmas Club account, and you were building up money to buy us Christmas toys. So that, that's something that we've lost from uh, 30, 40 years ago. Then, as you grew to second grade, you were an astronaut. You loved to be an astronaut. And you had a teacher called Miss, Mrs. Rum. And she had me in her class, and she said to me that you were going to be an astronaut someday and she'd be reading about you. And I had this uh, uh, ornament that was an astronaut, which we still have, and the top part broke, but you still want to know that it's on the tree till this day. Yeah, so, so back in 1972, uh, just to totally date myself, we were uh, landing people on the moon. The United States put 12 people on the moon. The last moon travel, Apollo 17, took place in December of 1972, and uh, I was in the, the third grade at the time, and I remember learning that they were shutting down the space program. But in the second grade, Mrs. Rahm is correct, they had two moon landings. And I convinced her to bring a black and white television set into the class so that we could watch the moon landing That's live. True. And you know what's so interesting about that? At that time, Americans thought that it was like boarding the Eastern shuttle to Boston. And so we lost interest after the second or third moon landing. And so when the ratings went down, so did the budget. Uh, but I was selling back then. I convinced Mrs. Rahm. I said, hey, listen, uh, this is super important. It's historic. It should be part of our social studies class. Uh, can you roll that big black and white TV in here? Uh, and so what she did was we, we broke from our reading period. I remember my friends high-fiving me over this thing that we'd actually convinced her to let us watch TV in the afternoon that day. Uh, but I didn't become an astronaut, lo and behold. So, so Ma... What was I like as a student? Did you get? Was I in a lot of trouble? Uh, you had a fight once with Zahn. Do you oh, remember God, that? Yes, I remember that. Yes. And um, we, I have a nephew who's very burly and very ready to take anyone on if his cousin gets in trouble. His name is Bobby. And oh they, man, we're really going deep here. So, so what happened to me <laughs> is I was. Uh, you're, you're mixing up two stories, but the first story, I was in middle school. And I had gotten into a fight with a kid in the middle school. And so we broke up the fight. And he said to me, listen, I'm calling my big brother down here from the high school. And he's going to take care of you. I said, all right, this is going to be a hassle. And so after school that day, I was at my locker. And six kids showed up to my locker that were somehow related to the kid that I had just beaten up. And so I said, oh, this is going to be really bad for me. And as I turned to face them, walking behind them was my cousin Bobby, who was a black belt in karate, and my cousin Augie. And he went over to the kid. He tapped him on the shoulder. He said, hey, hey, how you doing? And he said, oh, hey, Bobby, how you doing? 
He says, fine. He says, I'm here to kick this guy so-and-so. And, and Bobby said, well, that's my first cousin, so if you're going to kick him, you're going to have to come through me. Well, that was the end of that. Uh, and so uh, that was the rough-and-tumble 70s, obviously. But the second fight, which is the one I got suspended from school for, I was in the 11th grade, and some kid was coming through the door, and I was the civic-minded vice president of the school at the time, and he broke the glass on the door. And as he broke the glass on the door, I stopped him. I said, what are you doing? You just kicked the glass. Even though the glass had that, like, chicken wire in it, it was all shattered. And I said, what are you doing? And then he popped me. So, you know, we teach our kids now not to fight in school. Thank God we do that. Uh, but what my grandmother used to teach us, if someone hit you, you go back and punch them right in the nose. So I got, uh, I got out <laughs> and I started, I started punching them. That's true. And lo and behold, we both got suspended which I'm sure did not help me on my college application process. Uh, but, yeah, so I didn't have the easiest time of it uh, prior to getting into college. Was I an A student, Ma? No. What you, kind of student was I? You average, but one time you've, you got an F on, on something. I don't oh remember God. exactly Spl- what it was. Blowing but- me up on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but you were always sociable. You used to bring all the kids to our house, and I used to give you a green garbage bag to make sure that all the garbage that you would have would go into the garbage bag. And you and Paul Montoya used to love me to bake. And I would bake uh, chocolate kiss peanut butter cookies. So one day, I had a, my father had Parkinson's, so it was a little difficult, but they insisted on me baking these cookies, so I did. And I baked a couple of batches of cookies, so I'm taking care of my father. The cookies are made, and I come back, and there's no cookies. So I said, where's the cookies? Paul Montoya is going like this, and Anthony's... Rubbing his belly. And Anthony's giggling. He must have had 46 cookies. And together. Anthony's giggling. Dairy because barn they, milk. They ate all the 46 cookies. Forty-six cookies. They I'm ate sure all the one cookies. of the arteries in his heart closed <laughs> on that day. And they ate all the cookies. Now I'm going to tell you something wonderful about my son. I had a brother who had pancreatic cancer. My other brother, Ghost, and I, um, we saw my mother's people. She came from Italy, and my mother passed away at a fairly young age. This particular brother did not have the money to go to Italy to meet her people. And when we were in Sloan Kettering, this wonderful son that I have said, Uncle Tony, what would you like, you know, what, what would you like? Because we knew that pancreatic cancer was fatal. And he said, well, I'm too old, but I really would have liked to meet my mother's people. So guess what? In three days, Anthony had tickets for seven people to go to Italy. And my brother Tony was on first class, and everyone else was in coach. Well, I had to shove all the cousins in the bag. I sat back there with them. <laughs> I figured I wanted him to feel really special. They were like, you're not giving us first class tickets? I said, no way, man. You're going to sit in the back with me. We were up all night. He was up there. They were serving him. Um, what, what my mom is leaving out of the story, though, is that uh, he, had, he had been one of the first Army Corps of Engineers uh, my, my uncle graduated in 1943. They moved the class from June to March of 43. They accelerated his graduation so that they could get him in the armed services. And so they drafted him immediately. Uh, and a week after he was uh, a high school graduate, he was in England training for the Normandy invasion. And so 
uh, that next summer, June, the 6th of June, 1944, he was in the Army Corps of Engineers. He was one of the first soldiers to hit the beach. Uh, didn't talk about it for 40 years. Uh, probably suffered from post-traumatic st- stress syndrome as a result of that battle. Uh, when Saving Private Ryan came out, I remember sitting with him on the sofa saying, so, Uncle Tony, what actually happened that day? Uh, and I'll share it quickly with people because I think it's an interesting story, and it does relate to success and failure because what we know about our life, a lot of it's luck-related. And so what he said was uh, they ended up uh, the landing their craft, their their Higgins boat, uh, when the when the gate came down on the Higgins boat and the enemy fire was coming into the boat, the good news for them is they were slightly away from the machine gun cement-based pillboxes. And so he had dropped his rifle, landed in the salt water. His eyes were burning. When he got himself up, he saw some of his friends running through what looked like a German minefield. And so it said in English, but it also said Achtung or warning, mines. And so nobody was going in that field, but he saw three or four of his buddies running up the field. And he said, oh, my God, these guys are going to get blown up. They're going to be stepping on a mine. And nothing happened. And then it dawned on my uncle that the minefield was, in fact, a decoy, uh, and that the Germans had run out of cement and machine gun equipment, and so they, they mined or falsely mined and created bob wire and those anti-tank uh, 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 mechanisms and so forth, but there were no mines. And so what did he do? He went with them. When he got to the top of the beach, he radioed down to his captain, and they drove 450 servicemen up the fake minefield, destroyed the German pillboxes, and everyone in his company survived except for one soldier. So it's an amazing story about luck uh, in the sense that they landed in the right spot, but it was also about creativity, ingenuity. Uh, and what it taught me uh, was, was that you ultimately have to try to do the right thing for the people around you and have integrity, uh, be a team player, and try to support others. They were not the type of people that landed on that beach that only cared about themselves, uh, but they were working as an organism. They were working as an organization and a team for each other. And so it's hugely important. So let's take it back to you, Ma. Uh, tell me about when I disappointed you. Did, when I got the F, did that disappoint you? No, because I always knew that you were going to be good. Are you a Jewish mother, Ma? I mean, I had to have disappointed you somehow, okay? I mean, never, di- never. Never. Never disappointed you. Never. You can't find anything that disappointed you. When, well, when you went to Tufts, you did very well, but you failed your uh, Harvard exam as a lawyer the first time. Well, the bar exam. The bar exam. Yeah. And I said to you, Anthony, you have to pass. You have to pass, no matter what. And I was like a, a, a tick on you. Yeah, you were. You were driving me crazy. Every Sunday, you were let, let, lighting into me. And, you, and you, when you passed the bar, I sat in the front row center, and there was my son passing the bar. I couldn't be happier. All right, well, let me tell the, let me tell the correct version of that story. So I, I, I failed the bar twice. I ended up taking it in February of 1992. I was already three years out of law school working at Goldman Sachs. Uh, and when I passed it, uh, they sent you a declaration of passing. And then November of 1992, I got sworn into the New York State Bar. So what you're referring to is we were in the Brooklyn courthouse. Right. And I went to the courthouse with you and Dad, and I swore that I would uphold the law of the state of New York. But thankfully, I've never practiced a day of law. 
But let's go back to uh, differential calculus because uh, I don't I don't remember you not being upset with me back then. So let me just tell the people what you and Dad did to me. Okay, so I had failed the 11th grade math class differential calculus. I had gotten actually an E, which meant that I was failing with effort. So in addition. Uh, that's actually more insulting that you're failing with effort because it's like a sign that you're a little stupid. And so uh, when I brought that home, uh, you guys punished me for three weekends. I wasn't allowed to leave the house, uh, and I had to get every one of my grades up by half. Am I wrong, Ma? No, you're correct. Okay, so you're you were correct. you were upset with me, and so I had to stay in the house for three weekends it created a tremendous amount of social anxiety for me because I wanted to hang out on those weekends. Uh, there were no girls around. All it was was a, uh, a colored television with a Zenith remote control. You know, and, and that remote control was uh, switching back and forth between five channels, and you could turn the volume up a few times, then it would turn itself off. Uh, I want to I go back to uh, the contribution that you think family makes to your success. So what do you think that is, Ma? How does a family help make a person successful? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. One of them is compassion and love for one another. When I had a dad who had Parkinson's very badly, and through, through that, all three of my children helped me take care of him. And that was not such an easy thing. And my son Anthony one night came to his house with me and he helped me lift them all night long. To me, that was a very, very compassionate, loving, perfect type of kid. That's how I feel. That was very, and I think that he learned. He learned how to accept every walk of life. He 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 loves everybody. He doesn't look at anyone in a bad way. He just, no matter who it is, he just. I'm absolutely perfect. I haven't done anything wrong. Let's switch topics here for a second, okay? Let's talk a little bit about uh, us going to Tufts. Do you remember how we got there? Yeah, uh, your father knew someone. Yeah, well, who did he know? You remember? Tommaso. Yeah, Tommaso, right? Tommaso, yeah. right. And so what happened that night? Well, first of all, I thought Tufts was the other end of the earth, and I didn't want my children so far. And when you... You and David went to Tufts. I cried all the way home because I thought it was the end of life. I like my kids in their nest till this day. And as a result, both of you and Anthony, I mean, you and David live very close to me. And Susan, I feel, lives a little far because she lives in Huntington. Right. So that's 20 miles from your house, 20 right? miles from my house. I'm two miles and my brother's four, right? Right. Yeah. So, so let, me, let me ask you this, Ma, and I've told people this, so I want to know if you'll verify it. When I told you I was going to Harvard Law School, you thought it was in Hartford. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. And I also weighed myself on this. I always had this fetish about weight. So there was an antique scale. Everybody was taking a tour about Harvard. And there was an antique scale in the middle of the place. And I was on this scale weighing myself. And you said, Ma, Ma, what it's are you Okay, the scale was like literally from like the 1850s. An, an, an it was antique. in the Hemingway gym, okay? The, the gym that Barack <laughs> Obama used to play basketball in. And it said, do not touch. But my mother steps up on the scale, takes her shoes off, and she's moving these antique measurements to try to get the approximation of her weight. Uh, and the tour guide is looking at her. Well, I, I do remember that, Maya. I remember that very vividly. Okay, so let, let's talk about... Uh, 
the value of money. And let's talk about some of the uh, conversations that your mother had and your father, dad, yourself about money uh, and how to think about it. Well, my father was more conscious about money than my mother. My mother used to spend it pretty freely because my father made money. And um, he would he would say, your friend is the dollar. You know, he had quotes. The dollar is in your pocket, and money gives you power. And he would try to inject things. Then I had a mother who would buy very expensive things. I had opposite parents when it came to money, but my father really was a businessman and he used to think it was very important to keep your money and make money. Let me ask you about the uh, uh, the success quotient. Was, uh, was Pop a hard worker? Very hard. Was Dad a hard worker? Very hard. And so what was the idea in the family about work? Uh, that you had to work to be successful. And get up early. And get up early and be on time and do the right thing at your job. How about when I used to try to fake that I was sick and not want to go to school? Remember pulling my hair or you don't remember? Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. You remember pulling me out of bed by my hair? You're pulling yeah. me, pulling you gotta me out go. of bed by you my hair. Go. You that gotta was the go. only time in my life where I wish I had a crew cut when I was making pretend that I did not want to go to school or making pretend that I was sick. Okay, so what do you what do you think you did right, Ma? What are some of the things you think you did right? I think I taught you respect and compassion, <coughs> and I uh, and you know how to give in a very uh, wonderful way. Like um, you have a plaque at Tufts University in my mother's name that moved me very very much, very very much because I never thought even gave that a thought that that would ever happen. And you took me to that event, and it was such a beautiful event that I'll remember that for the rest of my life. And you give very freely. I want to give another example. I have a nephew who is in a group home. You give him Met tickets, and you buy everybody in the group home food, and and you buy him Stratomatic, which he always loved and used to play with him as a kid. And uh, you give very freely, and I think that well, that's you, an asset. Why do you think? Why do you think giving is part of people's success? Because uh, why do I think giving is part of people's success? Because there's a lot of people that don't give when they are successful. There's a lot of people that are hoarders, and they hoard their their wealth. And I don't think that's a good quality. When you, I don't think you should just give everything away. But I do think that when you're successful. You're very charitable. You are on the brain tumor foundation, foundation, yeah. and your father had a brain tumor, and you give to that, and I think that you're a very good person. Well, there was something you once said, maybe you don't remember, but you said you, some people build walls, other people extend their tables. Remember saying right. that? Mm-hmm. And so the concept about giving, which I absolutely think that the power in giving is actually in, it's a very selfish thing. It's actually, you feel good about the process of doing it, that you know that there's a, a psychic reward in benefiting someone uh, in their life. And I do think that giving uh, enhances people's self-esteem. It makes them feel more confident and more successful. And there's also another thing that happens in the process of giving. I think it inspires you 
uh, and drives you. Uh, and almost some of the great philanthropists, whether it's a David Koch or a David Rubenstein, uh, I've really tried to uh, role model after some of those great philanthropists who have given billions and millions away. Uh, but I do think it's an important thing. I think that's something for sure that you taught me, so I am grateful for that. Well, uh, What were some of the other cliches you used to say to us, Mike? Do you remember any of them? What goes around? Comes around. Right. You remember you say that all the time? The cream comes up to the top and it always floats. Mm-hmm. Remember that. Mm-hmm. Don't If people throw stones at you, don't worry about it because you can always throw stones back, but you don't have to because you become a person within. And you have to love yourself within yourself, and you will project positive things to other people. You remember saying all that? Yeah, yeah. I do. Uh, do you remember when uh, uh, Nana told me to punch Billy Whiteley in the nose? Oh, yeah, you wanted me to tell that? Yeah, so what <laughs> happened that day? Okay, we were, um, my mother used to love to sit outside and watch people go by. We live in a neighborhood where you, there's a, a cutoff from Main Street. And Billy White, we lived next to a, a bunch of kids that were on, on the rough side. And Billy Whiteley was always punching my son. So my mother said in her broken English, Anthony, you have to go out. I'm going to go in the door. He's twice gonna, my size. Yeah. I'm going to go in the door, and I'm going to watch you beat him back. And you beat him back so bad that he was crying so much, and my mother was so happy that you beat him back. And she, she says, Anthony, come in the house. <laughs> well, <you laughs> and know, she listen, was hooking I mean, you. It's a different, different age. Of course, today we teach our kids not to do things like that. But back in that day. You had to do that, uh, though. You know, he was, it, was beat- a lesson, it was a lesson on bullies, and it's a lesson on how to deal with bullies. Because typically what you find is that once you stand up for yourself, uh, the bully goes away because That's true. in their own selves, there's probably a self-esteem issue or some level of insecurity where they would need to inflict harm on somebody uh, that's not necessarily doing anything to them. But I, I went out there. I was scared out of my mind. He was twice my size. I ran at him, closed my eyes, and popped him about as hard as I could pop somebody at cried. the age of nine. And, uh, and then I got up on top of him and kept hitting him until Nana said, Okay, that's enough. Basta. Come in, come in, come into the house. <laughs> and uh, you know what? We became very good friends after that. I mean, that's the interesting part of the story. He led up, uh, and there was a mutuality of respect uh, uh, in the neighborhood after that took place. And that also taught me a lesson about standing up for myself, though. Even though it was a uh, something I don't recommend to people, certainly not to be violent, uh, but swinging those punches uh, uh, taught me. And I do think it's a critical element of success to stand up for yourself. If you think Which something you is going Which wrong or, or, or stand up for the person that might be uh, needing the help. Uh, one of the things about Skybridge was definitely came from you and Nana, Dad and uh, Pop and people in my life uh, was to treat people with respect no matter what their station is in life. And you it do. It doesn't matter if they're servicing or not. If anything, be kinder to the people that are uh, on the servicing end of you as opposed to anything else. At Skybridge, we have a, uh, a slap up and kiss down culture where I tell people here, if there's an issue inside the firm, come and see me. Uh, you can tell me the truth. I can take it. You're going to score a lot of points with me if you're offering up constructive criticism. I don't need people to be obsequious towards me or... Tell me things are good when I know that they're not. 
Uh, but the flip side is you better be nice to all the people in the room that are service providers. Uh, because and, you might come yeah. down and make them on the way. You never know. I do appreciate you being here, Ma, and I appreciate the time that you're spending to talk about this stuff. Is there any advice, if you were offering advice to a mom out there or to a parent about raising kids, what would it be? Well, if your child ever comes home and he's dis- uh, distressed about something from other children harassing him, just say, you know what? You're a flower amongst a whole bunch of weeds. Let the weeds fall, and you'll go forward. So, Ma, terrific. Thanks for sharing all those insights. You didn't blow me up too badly. I want to thank my mom today for everything. And, of course, wish you a happy Mother's Day, Ma. You deserve that. I want to give a big shout-out to my wife, Deirdre. Happy Mother's Day. You're doing an amazing job on Nick. Uh, uh, To uh, all the moms out there. Uh, wishing you a fantastic Mother's Day. Uh, the bottom line is, as you can see, I am perfect. And if you don't believe me, you can call Marie Scaramucci, the original Google before there was a Google, <laughs> especially in the town of Port Washington. If you wanted insight, gossip, or perfect. information about anybody, <laughs> just had to call her. Uh, remember to please email us at podcast at skybridgeinsights.com. And please follow me on Twitter at, at Scaramucci and wishing you a fantastic week.